Hello and welcome to The Forge. My name is James and this is the place where I teach verse by verse through the Bible. I am a retired U.S. Air Force Master Sergeant who went on to serve the Lord's Church as an assistant pastor, worship leader, and youth pastor. During my time in these roles, I finished seminary and I hold a Master of Arts in Biblical Studies and a Master of Divinity. I've been involved in ministry in some form for over 25 years, and it is my hope that this podcast will be a blessing to you as I teach from God's Word, the Bible. Forge exists to serve those whom the Holy Spirit is calling into a relationship with God through His Son, Jesus Christ. This is done through biblical teaching so that individuals understand God's forgiveness, live in its reality, and overcome the wounds caused by bondage to sin. I will always hold to the truth found in scriptures, and a summary of my doctrinal statement is worded perfectly in the five solas of the Reformation. I believe Christians experience gratefulness and renewed purpose as they are encouraged by the words of life, which spring from the Bible. I pray that this podcast plays a role in God's ongoing work in your life. Don't forget to look in the show notes for links to the podcast website where you can leave a donation or leave a voice message with questions. I will be collecting questions for a future Q&A podcast. Also, please leave a review on whatever platform you are using. That and telling others about this podcast are the two biggest things you can do for me. Now grab your Bible and get ready for a verse-by-verse study. May God bless the reading and the hearing of His Word. Hello again, my friends. What a joy it is to meet with you here on my podcast. I sometimes wonder who is listening to me out there in the world. Of course, I have ways through the program I'm using to see how many listeners I have, and I can see their approximate locations throughout the world. But I know that you, dear listener, are so much more than a metric or a number to be tracked. You're not a number. You are a person who bears the image of God, and I value that, and I thank you for taking the time to hear what I have to say. And more importantly than anything I am saying, you have taken time to hear the words of the one true living God. And I want to follow the same kind of format here for this episode that I did in the last episode. And I'd like to start off with an overview of the chapter first. And then as we get into these portions, as they appear in the scriptures, hopefully it'll trigger your memory a little bit. So here in Genesis chapter 34, we're going to be introduced to a young man named Shechem. And he wanted Dinah for his wife. And you may remember that Dinah is the only one of Jacob's daughters that get mentioned up to this point. As we look at Shechem's actions here in this chapter, where we will find uh, that his actions were wrong, but it appears that he wanted to marry Dinah. In other words, he quote unquote loved Dinah. And let me remind you at this point that our intentions are not what's important when it comes to romantic relationships. In fact, I'd say that our actions are much more important than our intentions. And we will see the word daughters used at this time in Jacob's life. In this chapter, and this implies that Jacob had more than one daughter. It's just that Dinah 
is the only one that is mentioned, but she's not the only one. Something which we've talked about in earlier episodes, and hopefully you've seen it for yourself at this point. Generally speaking, people are mentioned in scripture only as they relate to the storyline. And what we can gain from this little fact is that Jacob had at least 11 sons and at least two daughters at this point. So Shechem has sexual relations with Dinah. Of course, they are not married, and Jacob's sons, like many brothers, might feel in similar circumstances. They are extremely angry because of this violation. So the brothers put together a plan, and they lie, and they ask the men of the city to be circumcised. And a good question to contemplate as we go through this is, where or from whom do you suppose that these brothers had learned to scheme, to plan, to be deceitful? Who does that sound like? Maybe their own father? Maybe Jacob? When we read this portion of the story, notice the willingness of Shechem to do this thing. What thing? His willingness to be circumcised. It's clear that he wanted to be honorable toward Dinah, even though his initial actions were not honorable. And I would point out that even though this man was not of God, he loved Dinah as much as he knew about love. And he loved her enough to be circumcised and even though we'll see some other ulterior motives as the story develops, he did want peace with Jacob. And indeed, he wanted peace with what would become the nation of Israel. So as the story continues, the brothers go in, they wipe out the city. And we should notice Jacob's fear in this closing in the closing verses of the chapter a fear of the surrounding nations he seems more concerned about the mess that he is in more than what has happened to his daughter when we get there i want you to think of it remember this and what a man sows a man will reap and just as jacob had deceived esau in the past his sons now deceive him consider the culture of the ancient near east think of what this now does to dinah she's no longer a virgin and her brothers will kill her husband what a mess but as you will hear me say again and again this passage shows us that god is using less than perfect people that's a good thing since not a single one of us are perfect. I'm not perfect and neither are you. Yet God uses us, not because we are perfect, but because he has chosen to glorify himself in this way. He uses willing vessels to bring his message of salvation. He uses us with all of our imperfections. Since there are no perfect people, guess what? You are the perfect candidate for whatever God wants to do. So as we read this passage, ask yourself, what has God called me to do? What has he called me to do? So before we begin to read, Note that in a future episode, we're going to look at chapter 49. We'll talk about chapter 49 when we get there. But Jacob does not forget what happens here in chapter 34. He prophesies over his sons. And we will see that Levi was deceitful and quick-tempered, and the same holds true for Simeon. So with that brief overview, let us pause now for the reading and the hearing of God's word. Genesis 34 verse 1, the word of God. 
Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the daughters of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hivite, prince of the country, saw her, he looked, he took her and lay with her and violated her. His soul was strongly attracted to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and he loved the young woman and spoke kindly to the young woman. So Shechem spoke to his father, Hamar, saying, get me this young woman as a wife. And Jacob heard that he had defiled Dinah, his daughter. Now his sons were with the livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. Then Hamar, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. And the sons of Jacob came in from the field when they heard it, and the men were grieved and very angry because he had done a disgraceful thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, a thing which ought not to be done. But Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him as a wife and make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. So you shall dwell with us and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade in it and acquire possessions for yourselves in it. Then Shechem said to her father, and her brothers, let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me ever so much dowry and gift, and I will give according to what you say to me. But give me the young woman as a wife. But the sons of Jacob answered Shechem and Hamar his father and spoke deceitfully because he had defiled Dinah their sister. And they said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised for that would be a reproach to us. But on this condition, we will consent to you if you will become as we are. If every male of you is circumcised, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to us and we will dwell with you and we will become one people. But if you will not heed us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. And their words pleased Hamar and Shechem, Hamar's son. So the young young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. He was more honorable than all the household of his father. And Hamar And Shechem, his son, came to the gate of the city and spoke with the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Therefore, let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for indeed the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters to us as wives and let us give give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men consent to dwell with us to be one people. If every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? Only let us consent to them that they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city heeded Hamar and Shechem, his son. Every male was circumcised. All who went out of the city of the gate of his city. Now it came to pass on the third day when they were in pain that two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, each took his sword and came boldly upon the city and killed all the males. And they killed Hamar and Shechem, his son, with the edge of the sword and took Dinah from Shechem's house and went out. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because their sister had been defiled. They took their sheep, their oxen, their donkeys, what was in the city and what was in the field, and all their wealth, all their little ones, and their wives they took captive, and they plundered even all that was in the houses. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, 
you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and the Perizzites. And since I am few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a harlot? There are several things that we should notice as we look at this portion of Scripture. It will be impossible to track and unpack all of them, but I will simply mention a few observations, and you can ponder these on your own as you continue to pray and to study God's Word. I would point out to you that time has passed between the ending of chapter 33 and the beginning of chapter 34. We just read of Dinah, and we have not heard of her since chapter 30, where her birth is recorded. And you may remember that I told you when we covered that, that she would come up yet again at a later time in the book of Genesis. And we will see her again mentioned in chapter 46 in the list of Jacob's descendants who went into Egypt. So here we find Jacob's family in the land of Shechem, and this character, Hamar the Hivite, appears. And it seems what we can gather from the reading here that he does not seem to withhold anything from his son. It seems from the context that he seeks to give his son whatever his son wants. And for that matter, uh, he wants to give uh, to his son that which his son has already taken, taken, meaning Dinah. So Hamar does not seem to be interested in justice. He's not interested in a trial, uh, punishment. He's not interested in making some kind of restoration or restitution. Um, and he doesn't propose even that Dinah returns home. And we'll unpack that a little bit more later on. No, he proposes that Shechem gets what Shechem wants. We should notice that there's a threat here to God's covenant community. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, at this point, remember now that Adam did not, I'm sorry, Abraham did not want his son Isaac to have a wife from the surrounding country. Remember, Rebekah had come from Abraham's homeland, and so it was with Jacob. He was not to marry from the surrounding nations as his brother Esau had done. He was to go back to Laban's house for a wife, and that's where he married both Leah and Rachel. And the reason for this fierce protection of the covenant family was to avoid assimilation of the surrounding cultures. You see, God had called the family of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He had called them out to become Israel. And you know, Jacob's name is now Israel. It has been changed by God to Israel. And they were to be separated from all the other nations. Also notice that Dinah went out to see the daughters of the land, the Bible says. And I would point out that the text here does not say that others went with her. Now, it is unlikely that she went alone, but the Bible doesn't say. And it causes me to wonder, where was her father? Where were her brothers? Did her mother go with her? What were the circumstances which led her to find herself unprotected with the prince of the country? How did he get her alone? And the scripture here implies very clearly rape. Dinah was violated and she does not appear to be a willing participant in the sex act. But friends, why was she out there to visit the daughters of the land in the first place? Was she set up? Did the daughters of the land 
And that's a fancy way of maybe saying the ladies of that country, or if we wanted to say in modern terms, the single ladies, all those single ladies, did they desert her in her time of need? As part of the covenant family of God, there was no reason for her to go out with the daughters of the surrounding community. May this serve as a lesson to us. We are Christians and there is nothing out there in this world that we need to visit, so to speak. We are the people of God. We are a covenant people called according to his purpose. We are in a covenant relationship in the new covenant with Christ. We are the salt of the earth. And we've been called to proclaim his glorious gospel to the world around us. But we are not to become close friends with the people of another country, if you will. You see, our kingdom, I'm sorry, our king, he, I should say our king, it is his kingdom. It is not of this world. And what am I saying? I'm saying we must not run around unprotected. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, it says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. So dear Christian, do not think that you can run with the crowd, that you can go visiting among the people in the kingdom of darkness and not pay a price. Friends, you know better. The Holy Spirit is in you. And what may look like fun for your flesh is only going to end up grieving your spirit. So let's explore the language here just a bit. Notice that Shechem saw her, the Bible says. Friends, this was not a casual glance or a look. This was an observation. He saw that she was beautiful. He had an intense desire for her. He had a lust in his heart for her. To be blunt, he wanted her body. Remember all the way back in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, Eve saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise. The Bible says she took of its fruit and ate. I come to the conclusion that I've come to about Shechem's intent based upon context and the study of Hebrew. You see, he saw what she looked good for. Now, in this case, it wasn't for food, like in Eve's case, she saw it was good for food. Well, he saw her and saw that she was good for what? What do you think? Sex. He saw that she was pleasant to the eyes, just as Eve saw that the fruit was pleasant to the eyes. And he found her to be desirable, desirable just as Eve found the fruit to be desirable. The Bible says to make one wise. Well, in Shechem's case, she was desirable to fulfill a lust in his heart. So this word, this idea that he saw her, it carries the same weight in the same definition as when Eve saw the tree. So Shechem then took what was not his for the taking, just as Eve took the fruit. It was not hers for the taking, yet she took it. So single men and single women, if you're listening to this, when you kiss, when you hug and or you are doing other things that you should not be doing and you are not married. Listen, you're kissing on another, another man's wife or another woman's husband. It is not yours. 
do not take it, even if it is offered to you. Do not take it. Not until the day that you are married. Listen, friends, God will honor you for that. He will honor your marriage. He will honor that relationship. And you won't be bringing unnecessary baggage with you into your marriage relationship. The idea that Shechem lay with her and violated her as expressed in Hebrew, it actually means that Shechem committed acts of violence against her. And some translations have used the phrase humbled her. And we actually see that being used in other places in even the new King James version, which is what I use. So I don't really like the term humbled, um, because in my opinion, it's not as strong as the word violated. And the thing I guess I do like about the word humbled or the phrase humbled her is because it does communicate to us that Shechem forced Dinah to submit to him. You know, if you're going to be humbled, that means that someone is in charge or someone is above you or over you. So you can't be humbled unless there's someone that you are humbled to. So the idea here is that Dinah had to submit to him. And so not only was she violated physically, but she literally could not overpower him and had to submit to his power. So we see this same kind of language used in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 14, and also in chapter 22, verses 24 and 29. And I encourage you to go look these passages up and use the Bible's own language to help you interpret the Bible. That's what I just did here. Um, another way you could think of this is keeping it in context. You will find that that's one of the things I always come back to. If you've been listening to this podcast, you'll hear me say time and time again, context, context, context. And because of context, I do not think that I'm going too far when I say that this prince was used to getting whatever he wanted, as I've alluded to already. Daddy, I want this woman. Get this woman for me. So we see in verse 4 that that demand is being made of his father. The Bible says, get me this young woman as a wife. So look at the violation and the violence perpetrated against someone when we pursue our so-called love outside the boundaries of marriage. How terrible. But things are about to get even worse. Now, to be fair, we see that Shechem spoke kindly to Dinah. That's what the Bible says. It says his soul was bound to her. So as much as a pagan worshiper of false gods could possibly know about love, we can believe that he loved her. And this appears to be a very physical and self-serving kind of a desire, though. We can take from this that he did want to win her affection because he did speak kindly to her. And I suppose wanting to marry her is akin to the so-called phrase, you know, do the right thing by her. Um, and it's better than the alternative, which would be to simply rape her and leave her, and especially in this culture. And we're not told of Dinah's desires at this point in the story. But one thing is clear from what we know of the societal norms of that time. It is in her best interest to marry Shechem. Marriages at this time in human history and especially among the patriarchal clans 
of significant wealth, they were to be worked out between the fathers. Now, sometimes the mothers were included in the negotiations, as we see in the case of Hagar and Ishmael. But that example is probably just more due to the fact that Abraham sent Hagar and Ishmael away. He effectively divorced them. But now let's look at verse 9 and the proposal of Hamar. He states, make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters to yourselves. So ask yourself this question. What impact would this idea have on the covenant family of God if it were accepted? And do not forget this point either. Dinah had been forced to have sex with an uncircumcised Canaanite. So when the Bible speaks of her being defiled or it calls this act a disgraceful thing, there's another component added to this meaning. Remember, the sign of the covenant was circumcision of all males. And now think of this. Who, who would be the only people to see a circumcision? Well, the parents would see it, right? The son, of course, he would know. And eventually, the son's wife. And so the parents would look at their son and they would know this son of ours is part of the covenant family. He is part of the covenant that God made with his nation, Israel. The son would obviously see the circumcision and he would think, I am a son of promise. I am a son of the son of promise. And the wife would see it eventually when they are married and she would know. I am married to a covenant man of God. This was a covenant for God's people. So the violation here against Dinah is also in a very real way. It is a violation against the covenant itself of God with his people. Hamar is asking for the daughters of the people of God to come and be with the people not of God. So as we continue to examine this story, it would be a, a good thing to remember that Jacob made a vow at Bethel. Go back and read Genesis 28, um, verse 22. Read uh, chapter 31 again. Skip ahead and read 35. Um, chapter 35. So in short, what we, uh, what would have happened? My question is this, what would have happened if Jacob would have kept his vow and he had not taken up residence in Shechem? Well, obviously none of this would have happened to Diner and it would not even be an issue at this point. R.C. Sproul reminds us that there is no mention of God in this chapter and there's no separation from idolatry. And he states that this is a sad commentary on Jacob's spiritual leadership. As I've already asked, where was he when his daughter decided to go off and visit the other daughters of the land? So we know that Rachel had taken the idols, remember, from her father. And at this point in our story, it truly appears that Jacob has no influence and no control over his family. So as we move on to verses 12 through 24, we see more intentions revealed. For starters, Shechem is so taken with Dinah that he basically tells Jacob and the brothers, and this is my paraphrase, name your price. Name your price and I will pay it. Now, remember, we've seen this idea of a dowry before. Abraham's servant gave gifts to Rebekah and her family before she came to be Isaac's wife. And we see Jacob essentially working off a dowry to Laban, remember? He worked 14 years for two wives, plus an additional six. And... 
it's interesting. Uh, you can read this story in first Samuel chapter 18. Uh, David, um, is um, commissioned by King Saul to go get a hundred foreskins of Philistines as a dowry. And I've wondered if King Saul had this story of Dinah, Shechem, and Jacob in mind when he asked this of David. Interesting. My only point is, is that the idea of a dowry is not something new and um, Shechem was apparently ready to pay anything, even to the point of having himself circumcised. So Dinah's brothers decided to be deceitful. They obviously uh, were still angered by the rape of their sister. They promised that all will be well if the men of Shechem would become circumcised. And of course, Jacob's sons, Diana's brothers, had no intention of peace. How do we know that? Because the Bible says they were being deceitful. And one has to wonder where these boys learned to be so cunning. Remember, their father Jacob had dealt deceptively with his brother Esau over the birthright and the blessing. And now these brothers intend to use the sign of the covenant for the purpose of revenge and a portion of this violation, which they are so angry about this uncircumcised Canaanite has been with our sister. Now they're going to take that very sign of the covenant and they're going to trample on it even more. And we see that Shechem does not hesitate though, does he? He gets circumcised. In verse 19, it says that um, Shechem was more honorable than all the household of his father. And on first reading, you might think, oh, so he was honorable and he stepped up and and did this. Um, that's not really what it means here um, in the context. And from our study of language, we know that what this really means is that he was basically the second in line. He was... Um, and he was the crown prince. He was next to be on the throne, so to speak, in the royal family. And so in this sense, we see him in this position as the crown prince leading by example. Men, I will do this. I'm asking you to do this as well. So Hamar and Shechem present their case for an alliance with the covenant family of God to the men of the city in the city gate. And here again, we see more motivation coming coming to the surface. And remember, the city gate is where the elders of the city would meet. This is basically where court would be held. So if there were legal matters or whatever that needed to be sorted out, you could think of these elders as the town council, if you will. So in verse 23, it states, will not their livestock, their property, and every animal of theirs be ours? And one can see where Shechem may have gotten his selfish attitude, right? Don't we see the sons here acting out influences of the father? Why do I say that? Because Hamar has the acquisition of Jacob's wealth in mind. He wins. You know, perhaps he's thinking Shechem gets the woman he wants, at least at this moment anyway. And I expand my kingdom, which will go to Shechem when I'm dead. It's a win-win for me. So taking verse 25 through the rest of the chapter, we see that on the third day after the circumcision of the mills of the city, Simeon and Levi come into the city unnoticed, and they kill every mill of the city. Three days after the circumcision ensures the fighters would be incapacitated i've read commentary where this is kind of debatable doesn't really matter the point is we all know what circumcision is it would be painful and it would possibly take your strongest men and make them ready to just go lay down and take a nap in any event um i think it 
might become necessary at this point in our story to kind of draw out a family tree for yourself. Or you can use another study guide or study aid to help you because I'm going to get into some relationships here so you can see who we're talking about. So as a review, let's start with Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac and Rebecca, they had Jacob and Esau. Now we're going to follow Jacob's line. Jacob marries two sisters, Rachel and Leah, and he has their maids as concubines. And the concubines' names were Billa and Zilpah. So from Rachel will come Joseph and Benjamin. Billa will have Dan and Naphtali. Zilpah will have Gad and Asher. But I want you to watch this now. From Leah come Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Dinah. And as you can see from what I just went through there, Simeon and Levi are two full brothers, not only to each other, but also to Dinah. So the Bible states that these two attacked the city. Now, it's unlikely that it was just two men who took down the whole city. It's more likely that they were the leaders of a small army. The other brothers could have joined in along with the servants, other servants in Jacob's household. Um, from Leah, there's clearly enough. There's Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun. That's enough right there. Um, if each one of them had their own house, houses sort of set up at that point and their own servants and their own fires. But regardless, however we want to look at it, the Bible tells us that these two were in charge. These two get the blame for it, no matter how the battle took place. So much as we might say a general, um, takes charge and wins a battle or wins a war. We all know that the general himself didn't do it by himself. Here, I think we see two generals in charge, Simeon and Levi. So consider, if you will, the absolute cruelty of what these brothers did. In the words of John Calvin, he said, only one man had sinned and he had tried to compensate for the injury by many acts of kindness, but the cruelty of Simeon and Levi could only be satiated by the destruction of the whole city. So under the pretext of a covenant, they hatched a plot against friends and hospitable people in a time of peace that would not have been tolerated against enemies in a time of war. Now, I don't know that I would go as far as Calvin did to call them friends, but the point is well taken here. One man did this thing, and to his credit, he did want to marry Dinah, as you've heard me say. But he was also a leader among his people. And it should go without saying, but it is often the people of a nation who bear the brunt of their leader's disastrous decisions. We can also gather from verse 17 and verse 26 that Dinah had never left the house of Shechem since the rape. So while she was clearly a victim and appears to be really a passive character in this whole narrative, she was destined to be married to a prince. Her return was never part of the original negotiation. And as if the slaughter was not enough, the brothers plundered the city. They took sheep, oxen, donkeys. They took what was in the city, what was in the field, the Bible says. They took the wealth, which no doubt refers to any kind of physical money, gold and silver. They took the little ones, which caught my attention. They took the wives who are now widows as captives. And it says they even took what was in the houses. So imagine a house in the city 
has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with this terrible crime, but it's being pillaged by these brothers and no doubt they're men. There's no law of Moses at this time. And really the law of Moses, we call it the law of Moses because Moses is the one who received it, but it's really the law of God. Moses hasn't even been born yet, but God himself would not have dealt so harshly. Why do I say that? Because we can see how God would deal with a situation like this in Deuteronomy 22 verses 28 and 29. This is what it says. If a man finds a young woman who is a virgin, who is not betrothed, and he seizes her and lies with her and they are found out, then the man who lay with her shall give to the young woman's father 50 shekels of silver and she shall be his wife because he has, here's the word, humbled her because he has humbled her, he shall not be permitted to divorce her all his days. That's how God would deal with this. So while on the one hand, I point out that God offers a much lighter punishment in the book of Deuteronomy than what the brothers do here, I would also point out that in his sovereignty, he also allows this execution to stand recorded in all time for all time in his holy word. And from this, we can see just how God views sexual sin, lust, and the violation of women. R.C. Sproul says, the action of Simeon and Levi prematurely and illegitimately anticipated the holy war that Israel was to wage against the inhabitants of the land. Now, you will remember that back in Genesis 15, God foretold that Israel would return to the land in the fourth generation from their captivity in Egypt. God states that the sins of the Amorites was not complete. And from the beginning, we see here that our sovereign God was going to use Israel as an instrument of his judgment against the Canaanite peoples. And I cannot help but think of Dinah in this whole drama. She is a victim of rape. Now, as I alluded to earlier, she has no business being out with the daughters of the land who are not part of the covenant people, but that in no way justifies what happened to her. For at least a few days, though she must have been comforted, right? She was now married to the man who obviously was taken with her. He had even gone so far as to receive the mark of God's covenant in his flesh. And she might be thinking, you know, things might just work out here after all. But then her brothers took matters into their own hands. Not only did they destroy the city, but they took their sister's husband from her. You have to think about the gravity of the situation in this culture. In a matter of a week, she had gone from the victim to wife to widow. Her heart must have been completely and utterly broken. And now to add one last insult, Jacob seems concerned with one thing, and it's not his daughter's honor. He says of Simeon and Levi, you have troubled me by making me obnoxious among the inhabitants of the land, among the Canaanites and Perizzites. And since I'm few in number, they will gather themselves together against me and kill me. I shall be destroyed, my household and I. I suppose if we include Dinah as a member of the household, she could be lumped in there with all the rest. We see Jacob operating here in the realm of fear. And that's what we should get out of this. He is not in obedience to God at this point. So as we come to a close, I don't want to leave us on a negative or a down note here. Let's notice something here. Let's notice God is extremely merciful. How do I say that? Because it is from Levi that the priesthood would descend. This bloodthirsty man who was also a wicked robber, as John Calvin puts it, 
is the father of the Levitical priesthood. And even though Jacob seems more concerned with what may befall him next, we know that indeed God does preserve Jacob and Jacob's lineage. That in the fullness of time, the Savior, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah, another one of Leah's sons, that he would come to bring salvation to his people. Amen. again for listening to the forge podcast and don't forget to leave a review with comments let me hear from you leave a voice message through the link i hope and pray that you find ways to apply the truths of god's word in daily living remember dear christian you are forgiven it is by grace that you've been saved through faith May you grow in Christ in the study of the Bible and truly overcome wounds that were caused by sinful choices and actions of the past. I also pray that you are always reforming, seeking to glorify God in all that you say and do. Remember to be grateful to God for what he is working out not only in you but in all his creation as well. And lastly, be encouraged encouraged to serve God and others as you grow in Him.